I know your story. I've read it cover to cover. And I know the storms that will come. The waves will swell and the sky will darken. Though you'll fight against the current, you'll be swept away. You'll feel helpless and abandoned. And you'll wonder where I am in the midst of it all. I know this isn't the way you thought our relationship would work, but my plans are not for my comfort or yours. My purposes are always and only an expression of love. The scars in my hands are proof that love will sometimes lead you directly into the storm. Though you can't understand my plans, you can trust in one thing, that I am entirely good. You can't even imagine how good I am, and my plan for you is no different. When you shout asking where I am, know that I am right behind you, with my arms wrapped tightly around you, whispering, I will never let go. For you are the pinnacle of my creation and the center of my affection. There will come a day when I will quiet every storm, and wipe away every tear. In that day, there will be no more pain or death. But until that day comes, I will be your anchor in this storm. Every one of us have been in a storm at one time or multiple times in our life, and some of you are in one right now. A relational, financial, or a physical upheaval that threatens to drown you. And I understand how hard it is. We've been in a series of, of talks all month called Where's God Win? Where's God when things don't go the way I wanted them to go? Where's God when there's no happy ending? Where's God when I'm confused and frustrated by life? And we've tried very hard, I have tried really hard, and the teaching pastors here, to not uh, overly simplify this, uh, our response with any pat answers, because we're sensitive to the suffering that some of you have gone through, or what some of you are experiencing right now. Someone a couple weeks ago, um, in reference to this series, one person said to me, in a somewhat sarcastic way, but there's a lot of pain behind it, they said, thanks for waking the sleeping dragon of agony in my soul. And I know what, what they're going through. And it's hard. It's hard to face the reality of our pain, our suffering, and the disappointment that some of us feel at times even towards God. We desperately want things to add up. We humans, just by nature, want to make sense out of the things in our world. We fight to understand the events of our lives. And often, we demand answers. We demand answers from God and others. In my early 20s, I gave up on God because I figured he'd given up on me. I felt abandoned and confused. I was frustrated and I was actually bitter. And so I walked away from God and from my faith for a while. Since then, in my many years of walking with Jesus, one of the greatest realities that I've come to understand, and I hope this is something that if you don't know yet, you'll come to this conclusion as well, is that the truth is there's simply many realities, many things in this life that we just won't understand. 
On this side of eternity, they're just things that we're not going to completely understand. But I want to ask you a question. Where do we get the idea that God has promised us an easy life? Why do we tend to think that his blessing and his favor means that we'll always have an uncomplicated and trouble-free life? One of the promises Jesus made to us is found in John 16, 33. And most of us, we find a promise in the scriptures or a promise of God is given to us, and man, we hang on to it because we want to know the promises of God. Well, here's a promise that Jesus gave to us found in John 16, 33. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Now, that's not the kind of promise we generally like. It's not the kind of promise we want to hang on to. But the reality is Jesus looked at his disciples and he still speaks to us today. In this world, at this time, on this planet, you will have many trials and sorrows. And the truth is Jesus suffered. And so do we. And yet that is not the end of the story. The last part of that verse, Jesus said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus spoke the truth. In this world, at this time, you're gonna have many trials and sorrows and struggles, but that's not the end of the story because I've overcome the world. Jesus spoke those words. In this series, we've tried to take a look at some things. We looked at the first week of the why. Why do bad things happen? Why do hard things come to us in this life? And the basic answer we gave was because we live on a broken planet with broken people who do broken things. Again, not trying to oversimplify the answer, but the reality is why is life sometimes so hard? Because we are surrounded by brokenness. A broken world, broken people who do broken and hurtful things. We talked about, well, what can pain teach us? And I dealt with that the second week, and I identified two things. I said compassion and patience. Suffering can teach us to be compassionate towards those around us who are suffering as well. And it's one of the ways, not a fun way, but one of the ways that we can learn patience. And the last week, Pastor Matt dealt with the language of loss and how it's important for us to understand that it's a commonality that we all share. One of the things we all share in common, everyone in this room, is that at some point, in some way, we've experienced loss. And when we identify that language and talk that way with the people around us, we don't come at them with from some high and mighty position of superiority, but we come from the place of brokenness. We, too, have been broken. We, too, have experienced loss, and we can connect with people in our world because of that. Today I want to wrap up by suggesting, and it's not an easy suggestion, but I want to suggest to you that we can grow in the midst of our pain, sorrow, and struggles if and when we embrace the storms that come our way. I'm not saying we have to like them. I'm not saying we have to understand them. But at some point we need to embrace the test and the storms that God either allows or that he even brings into our lives. Let me ask you another question. Do you believe that pain can change us for the better? I know often it doesn't. We don't react well. But do you believe that there's the potential for something good, some redemptive work of God, that pain can actually make us more like him? What if we saw pain not as a friend or an enemy? I'm not suggesting that we embrace pain like, yeah, bring my, I like pain, it's my friend. No, not at all. But what if instead of embracing it either as a friend or an enemy, we simply embrace it as a teacher in our lives? Like Matt said again last week, that God is not a bully. He does not manipulate us. There's never, ever any evil intent in his heart toward you and me, never. God is good. But God will allow or at times bring different tests 
different storms into our lives for our growth and for our development, for our good. My youngest son, Isaac, um, he's actually 29 now, so you feel really old when your baby's 29 years old. But uh, Isaac has always been a planner as a little boy. And I'm not making this up. Five, six years old. He would get up on Monday morning, getting ready for whatever's going on in his day, and he would ask his mom, what's for breakfast? And, you know, at first she assumed he was talking about today. No, no, mom, what's for breakfast on Friday? That's the planner. My son was, for a while, not very often, but for a while we actually had a TV when my kids were little. Insert parenthetical thought here. It's great not to have a TV around the house when your kids are little. It doesn't hurt them. They read a lot. They grow a lot. My kids are all brilliant because they didn't have the idiot box in our house most of their life. But, okay, in parentheses, my son would get up on Sunday morning the few times when we did have a TV, and he'd look at the TV guide to find out what programs he wanted to watch all week long. He'd pretty much memorize it. He's a planner, always has been that way. Now, there's nothing wrong with discipline and structure. Some of you could use a little bit more discipline and structure in your life. But we need to learn to adapt and to adjust to life because life throws us a curveball all the time. And so I would intentionally, from time to time, just change things in my son's life. And I didn't do it to be mean or sadistic. I, I didn't do it to, just for kicks or to mess with his head. I did it to help him grow because I wanted him to learn to adapt and to adjust and to press through the things that didn't go the way he wanted them to go. I did it because I was trying to be a good father. At some point in your life, and for most of us at multiple points in your life, we will experience these three great tests, these three storms that I want to identify today. And God allows or brings them into our lives because he's a good father who has our best interest at heart. And how you and I handle these storms has a lot to do with learning how to trust God even in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the unexpected. I'm gonna be in Hebrews chapter 11 today if you brought your Bible, but I'm, I'll read it to you. But I wanna look at Abraham's story. It's found in Genesis, but we're gonna find the recap here in Hebrews the 11th chapter. And we're gonna look at three storms that Abraham went through and what we can learn from what Abraham did in the midst of them in the midst of these hard things in his life. Hebrews chapter 11, I'll pick it up, verse eight. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. We'll come back to that. By faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking forward. Verse 11, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, in other words, he was an old guy, and Sarah herself was barren, he was enabled to become a father because he considered him, God, faithful, who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Skip down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, when, look, look at it, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He had received the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. 
This is an amazing passage, and it summarizes the life of Abraham and the three great storms of his life. And here's the first one, if you're taking notes today, number one. The storm of the unknown. The first test Abraham faced, and a test we often face in our lives, is the storm of the unknown. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God called Abraham from his homeland, called him from his family, called him from the place that he'd grown up to an unknown and unfamiliar place. And God didn't give Abe any details. If you go back and read the story in Genesis, I promise you, he didn't say, Abe, here's where you're gonna go and here's what's gonna happen. Here's a, here's a map, here are the directions, here's a GPS, just follow these coordinates and you'll be fine. God simply said, go and go into the unknown and trust that I will lead you. Go and I'll get you there. You see, the storm of the unknown is really a test of direction. It's really a test, a storm of direction. Who are you going to take direction from? Who are you going to obey? Who are you going to follow? The storm of the unknown is used by God to reveal our choices here. See, I can say I trust God. I can say I will follow him. I can say, God, you're in charge of my life. But when it comes right down to it, will I follow and trust in him even when I don't get it? even when I don't understand. Some of you know uh, Teresa Arch. She has been our creative arts director here at East Point for a decade. And she's recently resigned, and she and Dave have been an integral part of our church. They're not leaving the church, but she's leaving a position she's been in that I have leaned on personally for years and years. She has been the creative brain and genius behind so many things that we've done here. And, and when she came and, and resigned, it was hard, hard for me. She said, I'm not really sure. I feel like God's taking me into, and here's the word she used, into some unknown new opportunities of ministry. God was calling her into something unknown that she hasn't completely figured out yet either. We believe as a church that we need to move into some new areas of ministry, try some new things, some new creative things, some things that will be unknown, uncharted for us as well. And I need to, you to hear me say, this has not been easy for her or for me. And the drama team folks, some of you are sitting here, they're more than a little nervous at times. What does this mean? What are we gonna do? What's it gonna be? What, 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 what's it gonna look like? What's gonna happen? And it's not real comforting when the senior pastor or the pastors on staff go, well, we don't know. We're not really sure. We're taking this one step one day at a time into the unknown. Listen very carefully to me. I understand that the storm of the unknown can be very scary. Some of you are there right now. A lot of us have been there, and someday you'll be there again probably. When something happens and you are in uncharted, unknown, it's like I have no idea what's coming. And that can be very scary. But at the heart of this issue is one very important question. Will you and I do what God asks us to do and step into the unknown with faith in him? I'm not asking you to put all your faith in me or the leadership of this church or in your spouse or your best friend because people will let you down sooner or later. What I'm saying is we put our faith in him, in the one who knows all things. And even when we don't know we know the one who does, and so we follow him. We put our faith in God. In our lives, 
the storm of the unknown, this test of direction is important because it forces us to make a decision. Whether we like it or not, it puts us in this place where we have to decide, am I gonna trust in him? It's a decision of faith. It's a decision of trust. Will I entrust my life to him? Test of the unknown. That's the first storm. Here's the second one. Number two, it's the storm of the unfulfilled. And by the way, these progressively get worse. I just want to warn you of that. The test of the unfulfilled is hard. Genesis 12, God told Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And the promise here to Abraham is unmistakable. There is no question here that God's saying, you're going to have more descendants than the sand on the shore. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of a great multitude. But Abraham When he received this promise from God, he was 75 years old and didn't have any children. And Sarah was barren. And then they waited, listen to this, you gotta get this picture. They waited 25 years. It wasn't just five years or 10 years. It wasn't just a few weeks or a few months. They waited 25 years just to see the beginning, just the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to them. Isaac was just the first one. Let me ask you another question. How many of you really enjoy waiting? Let me see your hands. Yeah. None of us. Even if you are relatively patient and you are really mature and godly, and we like you. But, but even if that's you and you, you still, you know, struggle with waiting, we all do. We struggle. I had a conversation with a young couple not too long ago. They've been trying to get pregnant for a long time, for years. And every month, they wait to see if she's going to have her cycle. Sometimes she's late, so they do the test, and every, every time they, they take the pregnancy test to find out so far that she's not pregnant, and they try again. They've had a couple of miscarriages along the way. And my heart aches for them. Waiting can be hard. The storm of the unfulfilled is extremely challenging for most of us. But you see, the storm of the unfulfilled is really a test of dependence. It's a test of dependence. When the promise of God comes slow, who are you going to depend on? When things don't happen as fast as you'd like, fast enough for you, when in fact it seems like the promise is never gonna get here, never gonna happen, what will you do? Will you take matters into your own hands? Will you give up in despair? Will you throw up your hands in frustration and anger? Been there, done that, it's not a pretty picture. Or will you trust that God is faithful and trustworthy even when you don't understand? Even when you're waiting and waiting and waiting. Honestly, there have been times in my life when I did anything but wait patiently. Times when I was anything but absolutely convinced that God was able to do what he promised. It says Abraham believed that God was able. And there were times I've seriously questioned that. There have been many times, way too many times in my life, where I've taken matters into my own hands in some vain attempt to either force God to do something or to say, fine, I'll just do it myself, God. And every time I've regretted it, every time it's not ended well. But when I've waited on him, when I've depended upon him, even when he seems slow. The end result has always been good. God doesn't lie. He doesn't forget. He's always faithful. He's always got our best interest in mind. He always wants what's best for us. But that being said, we can learn a lot through the process of waiting out the storm 
and it can be worth the struggle. It says in Hebrews 11 again that Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. What did he do? He occupied, I'm here, okay, and he went on with life. It says even though Sarah was barren, he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Abraham knew and believed that God was faithful to his word even when he didn't understand, even when the promise came slow. The test of waiting, the test of trusting in him no matter what. Here's the third test. The third storm is the storm of the unexpected, or perhaps we can call it the unforeseen. The unexpected Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He would receive the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. You know, I can only imagine how confused and perplexed I would be if after waiting 25 years to receive the promise, that's a long time, now God comes and has the audacity to ask me to, to give that promise up, to, to let it go? Genesis chapter 22, we find the story of Abraham being told to take his son Isaac to the mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice there. And the only way it, you know, that we, we look at that, we go, it's just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, from our human perspective, it just seems ludicrous. It's crazy. What possible good could come out of something so insane? But God demanded it nonetheless from Abraham. It was the test of the unforeseen, the unexpected storm. You know, I don't know about you, but I know that besides being impatient, I'm pretty possessive. And when I get what I want, you're gonna have to pry it from my cold, dead fingers to get it away from me. Not gonna be easy. I'm, I'm gonna hang on to it tight. And it is hard for me to relate to Abraham's faith in God here. But the storm of the unexpected is really a test of devotion. The real issue here is what or whom. Are you going to love most, the promise or the promiser? And by the way, God doesn't test us here because he's insecure. He doesn't do it because he's sadistic and gets some warped pleasure out of giving us something and then taking it away. God allows these storms or brings these storms. He tests us because God knows that when we love him first and foremost, everything else comes into focus. God knows that we were created to be in relationship with him. He knows that we function best as humans on this planet when we love God with everything we are. And that when he's first and foremost, Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus said, it's about God, put him first in your life. Back in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other God before me. From the beginning, consistently, God has challenged us to put him first and foremost in our lives. And this storm will test our devotion to him. God's not trying to cheat us or rip us off. He does, in fact, want to bless us. He does. But what we have, whatever it is, can only truly be a blessing in our life when it's held loosely and when God is first and foremost in our life. Many years ago, back in my 20s, I had a, an ovation guitar. In fact, I've got a picture of it here for you. I love this guitar. Now, I know some of you are going to think, oh, you shouldn't love things. Well, if you're a guitarist, you'll understand. You'll relate to this. But I, I, I had bought a guitar when I was 16, a classical guitar, and 
And uh, this was my very first real guitar. And I love this. I spent my hard-earned money to, to, to buy it. I played it hundreds of hours, thousands of hours. I use it to lead worship. I took it with me, in fact, to Scotland when I was a worship leader on a ministry trip. I have all these sentimental attachments to this thing. I know it's just a thing. I get that. But I love my guitar, and I love this thing, and I was emotionally attached to it. I will admit that to you. A little weird, but I was. And at one point, it got to where I was so poor and struggling so much that I had to sell that guitar to buy food for my babies. And I'm telling you, man, God and I had some knockdown dragouts over that. God, you promised to meet my needs. Give me money. God, I need to feed my babies. I need stuff. I'm trying my best here. Give me food. Give me money. And I struggled with this, and I fought with God over it. And I, I, I was upset. God, where are you? You said you would do this for me. And I will never forget the morning when the Lord just spoke this to my heart. I have provided for you. Sell your guitar. Not what I wanted to hear. But I realized in that moment that really it was a test of devotion. Kurt, do you love me more than you love that? Do you love the promiser more than you love the promise, more than you love my blessing in your life? Trust me on this one. If you love something or someone more than you love God, he will test and challenge you in that area. And he will do so not because he's mean, but because he really does have your best interest in mind. Because he knows that you'll be at your best when you love him most. Are you listening? He knows that you will be the best you that you could ever be when you love him first and foremost and with all your heart. Moses spoke this, Deuteronomy 13, three and four. He said, the Lord your God is testing you. There it is. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your, your God you must follow and him you must revere, a test of devotion. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. By trusting and obeying God, Abe demonstrated his heart for God. He demonstrated that no one, no thing, not even his own son meant more to him than God. By the way, in case you're wondering how that story ended, let me just read you a few verses from Genesis 22. Verse 10 to 12, Abraham took the knife. Now he's there, his son, probably a teenager, and he's on an altar, he's bound there, and, and it's, Abraham took the knife, it says, and he lifted it up to plunge it into his son to slay him. And I, it doesn't say here, but I, I'm a father. I can only imagine the angst of his soul. Faith in God, but I think he's weeping. Now, the Bible says he believed that even if he slayed his son, that God would resurrect him, God would bring him back. But I, I am certain that there are two people crying at that moment, Isaac on the altar and Abraham. It says, he took the knife and lifted it up to plunge it into his son to slay him. And at that moment, the angel of God shouted to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Lord, he answered. Lay down the knife and don't hurt the lad in any way. The angel said, for I know that God is first in your life and you have not withheld even your beloved son from me. Hard stuff comes, it happens. 
usually when we least expect it, or at the very worst time that it could in our lives. And again, honestly, just being very transparent with you, I've never been in a storm that didn't shred me, that didn't just shred my soul. But the paradox of storms is that they can strengthen us as well. They may shred us, and I am certain Abraham was an emotional wreck, but they can strengthen us as well. So the issue, the issue for you and me is what will we do? Whom will we trust? Where will we turn? And who will we love first and foremost above all when faced with the unknown, the unfulfilled, and the unforeseen? What do we do? Well, I want to encourage you today, keep walking. Keep following him, even if you walk with a limp, and most of us do. Keep learning. Keep trying to grow and develop in the midst of it, even when you'd rather not, and you'd rather learn a lesson any other way. Say, God, whatever it takes, mold me, shape me into the image of your son. And then keep loving God and the people around you, knowing that sometimes love bleeds just as Jesus bled for you and for me. Storms come. What we do in the midst of them, though, is up to us. And I would encourage you, keep walking, keep learning, keep loving. All right, let me pray for you guys. Father, I'm keenly aware this morning that there are people sitting here in this room right now are listening to this later online, that their souls have just been shredded by pain and struggle and hardship and sorrow. I know, God, that many of us have experienced things that have just devastated us. Some of us are in them right now. And Lord, I know that's highly likely that storms will come in our future. I ask you, Father, help us to be trusting, to be people who put our hope in you, who fix our eyes and heart on you in the midst of the storm, knowing that we're not there alone. We're not in this all by ourselves. And so wrap your heart around our hearts today, God, and hold us close in the midst of the storms we're in. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you have not started yet your journey as a Christ follower. And I, I talked about that we need to keep walking, following Jesus. And you think, man, I haven't even started that journey yet. But today you know. I'm not putting pressure on you. You just know it's time. It's ready. You're, you're ready to make that decision to surrender your life to him and to embrace his gift of grace in your life. And if that's you, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer right now. We're not going to do anything again to embarrass you, but I, I, I want to pray a prayer. And if this is your heart, would you just make my words yours in your own way? Just say, yeah, God, that's me. That's what I want. Make this prayer yours. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you that because he suffered and died, I can know life eternal. Thank you for the grace that you've offered to me. Thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness today. As Jesus gave his life for me, today I give my life to you. I surrender. And today, I'm choosing to begin this journey 
from now into eternity as a follower, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as one who is living in the love and now is mine in Christ. Thank you. Now, if that's you, let your heart just in your own way say, yeah, God, thanks for that. Thanks for embracing me. Thanks for this gift today. I'm yours. And the Bible says that instant you say yes to him, you become his child. You're his. Lord, for those making that decision right now, show them what it means. Show them that that doesn't mean, God, all the storms are going to go away. It just means now that they can face them with you. But for all of us today, God, help us to leave this place aware of a father who loves us more than his own life, more than the life of his own son, and aware of your presence in us and through us and with us always. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish. Cammie's going to sing a song for us right now, and I'm going to ask you to remain seated. Ushers are going to come, and uh, we'll give. um, And give as an act of devotion this morning because you love the Lord. I want to tell you the backstory behind the song that Cammie's going to sing. 1873, a man named Horatio Spafford wrote one of the most popular, best-known hymns of all time in the church, It Is Well With My Soul. I remember singing it at my grandmother's funeral. I sang it at my dad's funeral 14 years ago. I sang it at my grandson Phineas's funeral six years ago. When I die, you sing it at mine. <laughs> but it's a song he wrote out of his storm. Horatio had lost his son, his only son, when he was just four years old. He lost his fortune in the great Chicago fire, and he lost his four daughters in a shipwreck. His wife and four daughters were traveling across the Atlantic. ship went down. His wife survived but all four of his girls were lost. And it's out of that pain that he wrote this song, It Is Well, My Soul. I'm going to ask you, as Cammie sings this, just let these words wash over you. Use this as a time for you to reflect on God and his work in your heart and your life. And I'll come back and wrap it up. That's the cry of a heart, a broken heart. found hope in the midst of storm. I want to show you a picture and finish with this image today. It's the last thing I want you to see. One of my favorite places in the Oregon coast is in Cannon Beach and Haystack Rock. And you've been to the coast and you've seen trees that almost look disfigured. The wind, the storms have blown against them, not just once or twice, but every day. In so many ways that the trees have grown in a very different way. And we would look at him and go, well, that's not the way trees are supposed to look and kind of disfigured and cool, I guess, in some ways, but not so cool in others. And some of us look at our own lives and we think, my life's kind of disfigured. The storms have blown against me and it's just, I, I don't feel very normal. I'm not sure if I'm okay. What you need to know about these trees, what you need to know about your life is that these trees can be incredibly strong. Why? Because their roots go deep. Their roots go deep. They've been buffeted by the storms wind again and again and again. But you won't find a tree stronger than a tree on a coast. Though your life has been buffeted by winds and storms, let your roots go deep. Let them go deep into the one who is your strength, your life, your hope. That's how you can cry in the midst of the pain as well. Today, if you uh, begin your life as a Christ follower, I encourage you to tell somebody. We've got packets by the doors 
for you to pick one up. The New Believer Packet classes are scheduled. Sign up for that. But a lot of you, you need to come forward today. Instead of going that way, you need prayer. Maybe you're here Friday night and God just started stirring some stuff in you and you know you need some support and love. Please come, let us pray for you. Some of you today, you need to take communion. It's available sides in the room. And that's for you. It, it, you know that that's the symbolic representation of Jesus suffering for us. He suffered so that we could have life. And today you might need to do that before you go. But here's my benediction, my prayer for you. May you go today. May you go this week into whatever storm you may face, knowing two things. You are not alone. You are not alone. And God wants to mold you into the image of his son Jesus. And so embrace the storms and let him work through you and in you. And I pray that in his name. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.